everybody, and welcome into the Cyclone Scoop. I'm Alex Halsey from 24-7 Sports and CycloneAlert.com. I'm here on another edition of the Cyclone Scoop, and on, today I'm going to be joined by Iowa State Athletics Director Jamie Pollard. Jamie arrived at Iowa State as Athletics Director in 2005, and so he's now in his 14th year at the helm of Iowa State Athletics, and it's been a busy couple of months for him, really a busy year for him, and I thought this would be a good time here in the dead part of the spring to catch up with him and go over a number of topics that include contract extensions, whether that's Matt Campbell way back when or more recently contract extensions for Iowa State head men's basketball coach Steve Prome and his counterpart on the women's side, Bill Fenley. There's also been a lot going on facilities-wise. Iowa State has had a $90 million sports performance center approved, uh, $25 million renovations to Hilton Coliseum are going to be coming after that. Um, so there's a lot to dive in with Jamie Pollard, and we're going to talk about all those subjects I just mentioned and more, uh, whether that's about how Matt Campbell arrived at Iowa State or um, the Big 12 and, and what are the future um, contracts look like there. So we're going to dive in uh, with Jamie Pollard and talk a lot, uh, a lot about Iowa State and about a wide range of topics. And um, I think Jamie here now, I guess here at the start, uh, for taking some time because uh, he was pretty gracious with his time um, to meet with me. Um, we, we went a little bit over my scheduled allotment, but that'll be coming up in just a moment. Before then, I did want to um, thank you all for listening to the Cyclone Scoop. If you enjoy listening to it, if you've listened to past episodes, um, or if this is your first episode, uh, make sure you subscribe uh, if you can. If you're in the app right now, rate it and review just so um, you know what you kind of think of the Cyclone Scoop. And um, this is, I think, the ninth episode, so we still got a lot more on the way. This is still kind of in its infancy. We've had interviews with Matt Campbell, uh, recruiting coordinator Alex Golish, and now uh, with Iowa State Athletics Director Jamie Pollard. There's also been some spring football and some March Madness stuff sprinkled in, and there's a lot more of that on the way, but uh, this is still kind of getting up off the ground, so I appreciate you uh, listening in and um, I hope you'll subscribe and continue to spread, spread the word uh, as we push into the spring, summer, then eventually um, into fall and football season. So there's a lot uh, still to come in between that, that time. So thanks again for listening. Um, and with that, I think let's just jump in with Jamie Pollard. Again, Jamie arrived at Iowa State in 2005. So this is his 14th year. He's got a lot of thoughts on uh, some of the recent happenings with Iowa State. Uh, but also the future of college athletics. And uh, I think I touched a lot of bases. I could have continued on with him for quite some time. Um, but here's that interview with Iowa State Athletics Director Jamie Pollard. So I'm here now with Iowa State Athletics Director Jamie Pollard. And uh, Jamie, it's been really busy, you know, here in, in, in recent weeks, recent months. You've been named the Athletics Director of the Year. Um, you're on the you know, men's basketball selection committee. There's been contract extensions. Um, do you get a little break here you know, be, between these seasons, or, or what have these last few weeks been like for you? Unfortunately, there's really never a break, it seems, anymore. So uh, I've told people, because I've been asked that a lot in the last couple weeks, is um, it's actually easier during the school year when the schedules are just so structured. You'd think that that's a busier time. My real busy time or the harder time for me maybe is a better way to say it is the next two months because um, I'm out of the office so much over the next two months with tailgate tour um, meeting national meetings big 12 meetings um, spring sports championships golf tennis track um, and so it's when people want to meet or you're trying to get things done it's really hard to because it's um, I think I'm in the office five days between now and June 10th yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, I wanted to kind of start with um, some of the, the recent stuff, and one of those is obviously contract extensions for both of your basketball coaches. Um, 
How do those kind of come together? I know we've talked about Coach Campbell's extension before, and he doesn't like to deal with really any of that during the season. Coach Proms obviously came together pretty quickly. Is that something that, you know, between the Big 12 tournament and NCAA tournament, it just starts to feel natural and kind of comes together that way? Or, or how does that come together? Well, we knew um, through the season that um, both Coach Fenley and Coach Prohm's contracts went through 22, which was, you know, they were going to be down to three years. So uh, by virtue of just being down to three years, you've got to ask the question, you know, what message are you sending? Are you sending a, that you want him to be the coach here or are you going to bite off letting it burn below three years? And clearly we didn't want to do that. Um, you know, both coaches were coaches that we want to be our coaches. Um, much like any coach, I don't like to have any discussion with them during the season um, because it just, you know, whether that's jinxing it or, you know, th their focus should be on their current team, not what their contract status is. So did not have a discussion with either one of them prior to the end of their seasons, but had formulated in my mind and in our staff's minds, um, in Dr. Winterstein's minds, what we wanted to do. And so um, you know, we um, activated right after the season was over. But, you know, you know, and both coaches wanted to be here and made the process extremely easy. What does it, I guess, mean for, for you and, I guess, Iowa State as a whole to, to have your core group locked up? You know, the, the, the people obviously always first think about men's basketball, football, and then it kind of trickles down from there. And Coach Campbell's had a new contract, a contract extension. I, I'm getting all mixed up, even the timing of all those, but then now Coach Prohm. What does that mean for them recruiting-wise, but also for the university to not have that, that big worry? Right. Well, I'd, I'd first say we have a great collection of head coaches right now from top to bottom, um, and it makes it a joy coming to work every day because they, the coaches we have leading our programs across the board fit the culture of Iowa State. Um, you know, I know I talked about it in Coach Prohm's press release, but – you know, Coach Campbell talks about this all the time, is that if you want to be successful at Iowa State, you can't have ego. You just can't. And so having coaches that, have, that are humble, that are honest, that have integrity, are um, just founding principles that I think allow them to have great success at Iowa State. Specifically, as it relates to uh, Coach Fenley and Coach Prohm, you know, with my going on the basketball committee through 2024, it just mattered to me. I, I just wanted to be able to know that we have those two contracts handled through that time period. And I talked to Dr. Winterstein about that. Um, that's one of the reasons we went to six years versus five years. I just wanted to send a message to those coaches that they were protected um, through that time that, you know, I most likely won't be as accessible or as available. Um, and so that was kind of the impetus for why we took those out to the time period we did. But whether it's Coach Dresser or Coach Johnson or Coach Smith, you know, you name it, um, you know, having coaches that we want to have here is really important and making sure they know that we want them here is really important. I know it kind of comes with, with your job, but also with success is people are going to float rumors out nationally and stuff like that with whether it was Coach Prom or you know, Coach Campbell, even he, he says over and over that, you know, he wants to be here. He can only show it with his actions. And there's still, I guess it's more nationally where people say, you know, this NFL team's interested. Is it frustrating for you or, or do you kind of, you, you obviously have a different viewpoint where you already know what these coaches are telling you. Is it more frustration or is it kind of like, you know, people, people like what we have here? Well, um, I think it's a combination of that, Alex. First of all, I would say, you know, um, 
the society that we live in, we're, you know, no one is going to change how that plays out. And you know, we're living through it again every basketball season, every football season we live through it is um, the rumors that can be created and the mud that can be thrown on the wall by numerous people. You know, sometimes it's very distinguished uh, media people, and other times it could be somebody in the basement, you know, of their, you know, mother's house. Um, all that, though, you know, what's unfortunate is those people that start those rumors, um, you know, I don't think they intend to do this, but they don't understand the localized trauma that that can cause for the individuals that they make those um, rumors about. You know, because, for example, in, you know, the Alabama situation, you know, for Coach Prohm's name to be out there and then to be out there a second time after he'd already said he wasn't interested in the job. You know, the impact that has on Coach Prohm, our student athletes, our recruits, but the impact that has on the Alabama Athletics Department. Because, you know, I mean, their AD called me and said, listen, if, they're, if you know, Coach Prohm's agent is leveraging you, then that's not true because we haven't talked to anybody. And at the same time, you know, we don't necessarily want those out there either because it makes it look like then we're not getting somebody that, you know, that this person thought we were going to get. And so I don't think when you see those rumors out there, people don't um, appreciate the impact that that has locally. And so when I think back to Coach Proms, you know, that article was out there and it said on Sunday night, you know, here's nine coaches that could go to Alabama, but I still think it'll be Steve Prohm. Well, you know, all of a sudden, 30 minutes later, that same reporter is saying it's not Steve Prohm. So then I'm immediately going, well, did he just make up the stuff about the other nine, too? You know, and, and I'm not picking on that reporter because that, that's, not, that's not the issue. The issue is just that's a society we live in now is the ability to communicate your opinion and for people to take that opinion as fact, you know, could be a really, again, distinguished reporter or it could be somebody in their basement and it causes harm you know and and so that from that standpoint, point it's really frustrating so then coming back and I know I'm making this a long answer but but coming back to having a relationship with your coaches you know and I always say the relationship isn't built during the contract extension the relationship is built daily over 365 days having relationships with your coaches that you have trust that when Matt Campbell tells you something i can take it to the bank and i'm not worried about what's being said by all those different sources or coach prone tells me what he believes and i don't have to worry about what's being said and you know by whomever right because we both know that there are coaches out there that love to put themselves in those spots and their ad's can't trust what they're saying I feel really comfortable that we have very humble, honest coaches with great integrity that when they tell us something, we can take it to the bank. So that's been one busy part for you is just different different contracts. And they've all come together pretty quickly. You said the rumors were Sunday, and I think you announced it Tuesday morning. So it's, you know, that stuff seems to happen pretty quickly after seasons for you guys. Like you said, a lot of that's probably because those coaches already know what they want once that season's over. But Another thing you've been busy with is facilities, and that's been a big thing, I guess. It's probably one of your biggest things in your 14 years to date, and I don't even know what the numbers changed to, but at one point it was nearing $200 million and just different things since 2005, but there's more on the way. 
Um, let's start with the Sports Performance Center since that kind of came in first. That's a $90 million project, 110 square foot um, facility. Um, you know, I guess for people listening, it's it's a multitude of things. You know, football gets an expanded locker room, but it's a uh, academic area. It's a nutrition center for all sports. How did that come to fruition? I know it's something Coach Campbell was passionate about, um, but it, it sounds like it's more wide-ranging that, than that because it's not just a football facility. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, the, the, origin, the origination of it was um, when Coach Campbell arrived and we talked about uh, let's wait till after your first year to find out, you know, what, what are really your needs because you come in and you think you know what the program needs. But I said let's live it for a year. And the biggest thing he felt was that we just weren't providing the right kind of nutrition and daily eating habits for the football team. And so that got us going down this path of what we can do. And so since Coach Campbell's been here, we've been feeding the football players, you know, breakfast and dinner every single day catered in, um, you know, in the Heartland Hall. It works. It's not the most efficient way to do things because it's very cost prohibitive to cater stuff every single day. Um, and so that got us thinking about, well, what do we really want to do nutrition-wise? And as we talked about that and talked with other sports and other student-athletes, we just felt that that was something that we needed to broaden what we were doing and provide that service for all our student-athletes, not just for football. So that was the first part. The second part was then saying, um, you know, we knew we were going to have to expand the, the academic center. And if we were going to expand the academic center, then we started thinking about, well, where's the best location for the academic center to be? And when we went and have looked at other facilities, one of the biggest things that we heard, and Northwestern was probably the best example of this, is put academics and nutrition together because those are two things that they do every single day. And so centralizing the academic center became the next piece of that project. And then the third piece was, you know, well, what are we doing for football? Because we want to continue to bolster what we're doing from a competitive standpoint in football. And so that kind of built out the facility in a way that started to change the entrance to the front of the stadium. And when you change the entrance to the front of the stadium, you're taking down the Olsen building, which also has some other sports in it. So you then have to replace those so then that made the Sports Performance Center grow even further. And that's kind of how it all just came together. Um, and we're really excited about it. But the, the real impetus of it is it's going to be centralized academics and nutrition for all 450 student athletes. Is um, the nutrition side of it, this, I've read about that, like even at the NFL, I think it's, it used to be just kind of guys ate what they wanted and they've kind of realized like sleep and what you put in your body is just, completely has changed, I guess, in the last, I don't even know how many years, but it seems more recent than long-term. Was that like, I mean, Coach Campbell probably has obviously done a lot of research and stuff on that and what he wants. Is is that really change, one of the biggest things that's changed in recent athletic college athletics is just the, the emphasis on things beyond just on-the-field stuff? Yeah, I, I would say on the nutrition side, um, it's been twofold. You know, in football, it's clearly, um, that is one sport where, you're really looking to physically change the body shape of a good segment of your team, right? Um, there's other sports that that's not maybe as – it's a different kind of nutrition where football usually is we need to put on some bulk and put on some weight. Um, 
And so watching what they, they eat and making sure they're eating the right food to maximize their calorie intake and the, the right kind of calories was really important. Um, it's, more, it's more so than just, well, we're serving them food. It's having nutritionists that are there and writing individual diets and being able to customize things for those student athletes. The other part of the nutrition for our sports, and this is something that gets way into the weeds that you know most listeners probably aren't as attuned to, is you know a, a headcount sport like football is you give a kid a scholarship, you give a kid a scholarship. In other sports where it's um, you give partials and it's an equivalency like wrestling, um, there's a limit. So you know if if the limit is 11.9, but you can figure out how to provide walk-ons training table and a nutrition meal that becomes in essence a meal scholarship without counting towards the total number of scholarships you can essentially make your 12 become 13 or 14 or 15 and you know that's really been the art amongst athletic programs and coaches of how do I get more out of my scholarship total by tapping into the new rules that allowed us to change how we deliver nutrition. So that's been a big part of it. And then the, the other part that's not nutrition that's changed, Alex, is just the, uh, the expectation that um, what are we doing beyond the classroom and beyond the practice field to prepare our young men and young women for the real world? And that you know used to be resume writing and interviews, but now it's become how do we deprogram student athletes from, and, and I had an athlete tell me this and it just shocked me, but is how do I go to a, when I graduate, and I want to go work out at the health club. How do I work out when there's all these people in the workout room and there's not somebody there that's just customized it just for me and I'm the only one in the weight room? Never thought about that, right? You know, and so these athletes in some ways have been so programmed in a, in a way that have, we've done them a disservice to then turn them back over to the general public. We've got to help them get prepared for what, what's real world going to be like when someone doesn't class check you or wake you up in the morning or walk you to class, or, you know, fill out your schedule for you. Um, we've, we've got to do a better job of preparing them for the real world. And then the second facility is, you know, the Hilton Coliseum renovations. And I think the, the part that's more fan-facing and not like kind of the, the behind-the-scenes work is, is obviously the expanded concourse that I think is going to come with um, expanded concessions and all that sort of thing. That's a $25 million project. Um, did that just kind of come about as – hey, this needs to happen now, or um, was there something like fan experience-wise that you thought this would be what good, or, or is it just did it all happen kind of together? Well, it's something that we had, in our department had been talking about in terms of our long-term vision of how can we continue to make Hilton a better facility. Um, and then it was really kind of born out of the discussions we were having related to, you know, what are we doing for our premium donors, which we did Johnny's and we just redid all the parking around Hilton, but also what are we doing for all the fans that come to Hilton? And then what happened as we were out raising money for the Student Performance Center, we um, came upon several donors that said, you know, I'd like to make a capital gift, but I really would like my gift to be used to help Hilton and basketball. And so that kind of brought that program or that project more to the forefront of doing it sooner than later. And so it's really trying to do something for all our fans and the timing of it was really born out of having some donors step up that said they'd like to see us do this sooner than later. 
And is that the main thing just, you know, that the fans will notice is expanded concessions and I guess more room on that concourse? Well, and, and also bringing just uh, brightness to the building. You know, the building is an awesome facility, um, but it's a concrete bunker. And, you know, it was built years ago and it's survived the test of time, but it doesn't have a modern look to it. And we just felt like that that was another evolution of from a recruiting standpoint for uh, how people feel, you know, lighting, color, uh, glass, um, expanded concourses to make it easier to get in and out. Um, the concession piece will be something that's operational that'll help us, but um, it's more just an overall image of how do we continue to take something that's a really good facility and keep it modern. The Sports Performance Center, I think you guys will break ground, is it June, early June? Yeah, but it should be in that time period. You know, we, we joked early on that as soon as the frost got out of the ground, and then for a while there, it seemed like that was never going to happen. So, um, you know, this summer, that area will start turning into a huge construction site. And we also, because we're losing that parking lot, we're going to be expanding the parking lot on the east side of um, the Olson building. So that's going to be a construction site. We've got to run the utility lines up the side of the the west side of Jack Trice Stadium by the field. So that area is going to be under um, disarray. So the next, you know, the next year to two years is going to be a little bit, um, you're going to need some orienteering experience and some patience to navigate your way around our facilities. And then Hilton, that project's more probably more than a year out, it seems like. Yes, you know, we, we, you know, we got the approval. We will start to the process of picking an architect and that will probably take through the summer, and then we'll go into design. Clearly, the earliest they could probably start doing anything is after commencement next year. So that, even though we're expediting that project, it's still probably in the year out to probably see any progress, and probably two years before it's complete. Awesome. Well, let's take a quick break, um, and then I'll come back and, and finish up with you, Jamie. Okay, so we're back here with Jamie Pollard, and uh, Jamie, I, I just wanted to finish up with a few different topics. One of them is kind of taking you back a little bit, because I, I find it interesting, and that's the hiring of Coach Campbell. It kind of came together so quick uh, that week. I think the, the game got over, um, and then like the next day, you know, I think you guys maybe made that announcement, and you kind of, kind of seemed to focus on him pretty quick. I mean, how quickly did that come together with him? And, and it was similar to what we talked about earlier, where he doesn't like to think about things until after the season. I know he, I don't think, wanted to talk to you guys until after, I think it was the MAC championship. How quickly did that come together that you're like, this is our guy, and then now three years later, you know, what you've seen happen? Well, um, you know, unfortunately that fall, as much as, um, you know, I, I didn't want it to happen that it would end the way it did for Coach Rhodes. You know, my job is to make sure that, you know, you're covering all angles. And so throughout that fall, um, you know, I, I had to keep my eye on, well, what happens if we have to make a change? And so um, had started to do research, and um, Steve Melchel is really good at helping me do that stuff. Um, and in this day and age, you can get so much research and video of people. And so, you know, the origination of that, though, really was in that fall um, of knowing, identifying what we thought we needed and quite honestly, had come to the, the, the decision that we wanted a head coach this time. We had gone down the route of assistant coaches the previous two times and just felt like assistant coaches, their first time being a head coach, there's so much to learn about just, especially in football, 
so much to learn about just leadership and management and supervision. And, you know, they're overseeing, you know, when Coach Rhodes was here, he had 17 staff. I mean, Matt Campbell's got 40 staff, you know, so, and not to mention 125 players. I mean, so the number of people you oversee, it's so much more than just being a football coach. And so we felt somebody that had been a head coach that had done it was really important. Well, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out if Iowa State was going to hire a head coach, you know, where you're going to go look for it. Because, you're, you know, despite what some of our fans would like to think, you know, an SEC coach, an ACC coach, a Big Ten, they weren't coming to Iowa State. You know, so we were going to have to find somebody who was on the up and coming. And the MAC is just a great breeding ground for – you know, some really good football and really good coaches. And so I put myself in a couple situations um, at national meetings where I hung out with the MAC ADs. And I did it um, in large part because I wanted to just be a sponge and pick their brains and kind of hear what they were thinking. They didn't know that's what I was doing. And um, it was clear that Matt Campbell was like the rock star in that conference. If you wanted somebody that was a great coach, but this had unbelievable integrity, humility, um, you know, all the things that we talk about. Um, and so then I started doing my research and everything, all the video I watched, I told him when we finally met, I felt like I was stalking him because I knew all this stuff about him just by watching post-game press conferences, you know, how he behaved during games, you know, just everything you can get. Um, and so I felt like I really knew him, and I loved that he was a Division three athlete. He had been a Division three coach. He was a son of a coach. You know, all the things, his staff, you know, they just all pointed to Matt Campbell's the guy. you got to find out if he is who he really appears to be. And so that's where we decided we wanted to start, and Matt and I just hit it off. I think he had done his homework. Um, we shared some common people in the industry that you know kind of said you guys would be a good match and um it came together really quickly seemed like it just like you guys met that night or maybe the, i don't we know met that day in in toledo just, and then um, it just came together well like you know if, if you've done your homework and you, you guys now know matt three years later you know he's not somebody that just does things willy-nilly you know matt's very thoughtful very deliberate you know very traditional you know, um, I think one of the great ways I like to describe Matt Campbell is he is an old-school football coach in contemporary packaging. And those old-school football values, win at the line of scrimmage, you know, you know you're not going to see Matt, you know, we're not going to spread it out all over the field and just start, you know, throwing bombs all the time. You know, he's going to run it and run it and run it and, and then try to pass from it. And, um you know, those are traditional ways of winning. You're going to win with defense. You're going to play the odds. You know, but at the same time, he's so contemporary, and his players love that about him. You know, he cares about them. He's, he, he relates to them. You know, the whole recruiting thing that they brought to the table with social media, you know, is phenomenal. And so um, it's been really neat to see him be exactly what I thought he was based on the research we did. I just thought it'd be interesting to jump back there for a second because it's we've talked about it before, but it's been a while, and it just kind of interesting thinking about that. But also to jump to this question, which jumps now to present time, like you said, it's been three seasons. Um, what have you seen the impact of two eight and five seasons, uh, Liberty Bowl victory and Alamo Bowl? That you know, we I saw a story come out last week about what the impact of their economy from that. What have you seen? that success now three years later translate to anything in terms of 
something you can quantify interest-wise. I mean, the, the tick people were showing up before, so I mean, the ticket sales maybe are not changing much because I think their fans were already buying tickets. But whether it's that or branding, like you brought up social media, it seems like from a brand standpoint, it's it's even increased in three years. And, and you guys have done things like the tailgate tour that have obviously were the huge things, but now football seems to even be pushing that footprint forward. Have you seen anything that you can quantify, whether it's tickets or branding or things like that? Well, I, I'd first say this, and it's not exactly what you've asked, but I, I want to say this, and it's important to say this, is I think throughout this entire run-up of you know having success, which has probably been sooner than most people ever thought it could be if it was going to happen, is Matt Campbell hasn't changed. He's still the same Matt Campbell, and I think that that's a huge reason he has been so successful in his life, and he that's one of the reasons that we're going to continue to continue to have success and so what I see that doing is I see us being able to recruit even better student athletes more um, student athletes that are going to be more capable of being successful at the level that we now are trying to be successful at Um, I've seen more fans come to the table in a way that um, they hadn't before in the past um, you know, the people's willingness to have discussions about donations and understanding of what it takes to really be successful. Um, those discussions have been um, probably more frequent and more fruitful, which is good, you know, because we, you know, it's no secret we're paying the, his assistant coaches a lot more money. And so you got to keep putting more you know, wood into the fire, right? And you got to find more places to cut down trees to get that wood, you know, and so that's what we've got to continue to do amongst our staff. You know, the other part, though, that I would say, and, um, you know, I think this is going to be something that I'm going to make a a real priority over this summer is, you know, I said it last August, and I watched it play out this fall, and I've watched it play out over this winter is um, Cyclone fans, the majority of the Cyclone fans have been absolutely awesome. But I'm starting to see it. You know, our fan base has prided itself in saying we're different and that we behave different, that we're more loyal. And I'm starting to start to feel it and see it that some of our fans are starting to behave in ways that um, our fan base likes to make fun of other fans for behaving that way. You know, I saw it last year in the fall with Matt Campbell over, you know, play calling and coordinator and... um, and I clearly saw it this winter with uh, men's basketball. I saw it last winter with women's basketball about Coach Fenley. And so, you know, what I think is really important about our brand is that we remember we have a saying in our athletics department amongst our staff that we say when you ultimately achieve the success you so desire, remember who you were because that's who you still are. And that's a really important message for our fan base because – All fans need to hold all of our fans accountable for that because I will say this. Iowa State fans 30 years ago ran off Earl Bruce. Three eight and three seasons weren't good enough, and we ran them off. And then we spent 30 years yearning to have this success again. And if we run off Matt Campbell or we run off Steve Prohm, because we've changed, we will regret it forever at Iowa State. This is our chance to make hay. We have an unbelievably great set of coaches that fit our culture, 
and that have proven they can win at Iowa State and do it the right way. And this is a chance for Iowa State fans to go all in if they want to change this program generationally. You know, um, but it's their choice. It's their choice because I can only do so much as the athletics director in our department by paying them so much, but we need to be there for them and not all of a sudden think that Matt Campbell not winning nine games this fall isn't good enough for Iowa State. Okay. And that's a big, that's probably my biggest concern as athletics director right now is trying to protect the brand that we've worked so hard to create when I'm watching it start to have some erosion. Yeah, and that's probably the, one of the more difficult things I think in this day and age around really everywhere is like you have to dissect of the, the social media, like people tweet at me if they get mad about, like you said, a play call. I don't know why they're <laughs> telling me, but, but it's just like, I think it's, I think social media in some ways has created a vocal minority sometimes that's negative and maybe doesn't represent everything. And so you have to kind of it just, yeah, like you said, it probably makes your job very difficult well, in that but sense. It, but it's also gone past social media. I mean, I, I've, I've seen it. I've heard it from donors that are just like, wow. You know, it's, I get being disappointed. Heck, when we don't win, we're all disappointed. And if any fan thinks they're more disappointed than the young men and the young women in the locker room, then, you know, they've never been in a locker room when you get beat in the NCAA tournament to Ohio State and three-fourths of the locker room are wailing like babies. Or they've never been in the locker room when you have to say goodbye to Bridget Carlton for the last time, okay? I've watched, though, people just discount that. And, you know, they want the next. They want the next. And um, Iowa State fans are better than that, and the vast majority are. But what we need is we need all fans. We need fans to hold other fans accountable when they go beyond being disappointed and they become irrational because that's the difference. I'm all for disappointment because, you know what, I want to win every time. And when we don't win, I'm disappointed. But I also get the other side wants to win too. And so the Virginia fans were disappointed when they got beat last year in the first round, okay? But they weren't irrational. And now look where they are, okay? So I just hope that as a fan base, we don't lose that brand because that's something that makes Iowa State different. And if we lose that piece of what makes us different, then we're no different than anybody else, and we will regret that. Yeah. Uh, I did want to end on this kind of this last little segment, I guess, um, and that's kind of the Big 12. And um, last year, I think, and I hope my math is right, but I think it was about $36.5 million payout per school. I think Bob Bowlesby said um, it could even reach the $40 million this next year. Obviously, that I think it's third in, in Power 5, pretty stably there. I mean, the conference has to feel good, I would assume, about where that number is and, and kind of where the stability is in terms of, that number, considering all the stuff, I don't even know how many years ago, but it seemed like when I was kind of getting into covering Iowa State, it was always about the conference realignment and expansion. And now here we are sitting in 2019, and um, you know the talk's more so about inching towards that $40 million number, which seems like a good place to be. I mean, as yeah. a group of athletic directors, does it feel like this is? I, I feel like this is the healthiest the Big 12's ever been. It's clearly the most. Um, collegial the Big 12's ever been. Um, we've got so much going for us. Um, you know, the two years in a row, we've had Final Four teams on the men's side, the women's side. Now we have, you know, we've got a Final Four team in both the men, women, and we were in the college football playoff. You know, uh, we had college football playoff participation the last two years, Final Four the last two years. Um, you know, all the metrics 
show that the Big 12 is performing extremely well. Financially, we're very solid. Um, and, you know, we're just – this is a really good time. It's a great time to make hay. And so I'm glad that Iowa State, you know, is in a spot where we were, you know, Big 12 champions in basketball. We were runners-up in Big 12 uh, women's basketball. You know, we had an outstanding year in football, finishing, you know, tied for third, but third with the tiebreaker. Um, you know, we're second in the overall Big 12 sports standings. Iowa State in the history of the Big 12 – has finished in the upper half of the all-sports standings one time, one time, and that time we were fifth of ten. And we are second going into the spring sports. We've never had as good a year over across the board athletically. And so we've picked a really good time to be good um, because this is kind of the sunshine time for the Big 12. And so um, I couldn't be happier about that. And then the second part of the Big 12 is more so wide-ranging than just the Big 12, but the future in terms of, Everyone kind of pinpoints 2023, 2024 when the TV deals come up. I think your guys' is 2024, 2025. Um, what is the – this is a hard question, I'm sure. It's kind of more prognosticating a little bit. But what do you think the future of, of TV is in that sense? I mean, it could be Netflix or – it could be something like that or how much you think can change even before then. And is that a year that people should focus on or do you think it's – maybe too much talked about because I you know there'll be people that worry about that year I guess for what it means not for the Big 12 but what it means for college athletics right well um first and foremost I would say that anybody that says they know the answer to all those questions is totally making it up because nobody knows if anybody knew the answers to those questions they'd be a millionaire because they'd have this thing wired completely um what we do know is we live in very turbulent times we live in times from a media standpoint that the ground is moving underneath us every single day and we have no idea when it's going to stop or if it will stop. Um, we also know that that period of time, there are a whole series of contracts amongst conferences, amongst sports leagues that all kind of come at a, a similar time between 22 and 25. Okay. Those contracts, though, came like that same thing, you know, I don't know, I'd have to go back and look, but it was probably 2007 to 2012, you pick it. Those times have come and gone in years past as well, and life goes on. What's different today is just that we're living in a time period where there is so much uncertainty about just how people want to consume and how um, organizations want to deliver live content. And... Um, you know, there's a belief that everything is going digital, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer in radio was how you originally watched sports, and free TV was going to kill radio. And free TV came, and we still have radio. And then cable TV came where you had to pay for cable TV, and everyone thought that'll never happen. Well, then everything started moving to cable TV pay, and that was going to kill free TV. Well, free TV and radio still exist. And now we have digital, and that's going to kill cable TV and free TV and radio. My guess is in 2026, 2027, there'll be a vibrant AM radio stations covering sports. There'll be great live broadcasts on free TV. ESPN will still exist with their cable network, and somebody will be doing great things on digital, whether it's ESPN or Amazon or whomever. Um, and where all those entities will land, 
will follow the dollars. And right now, no one seems to be able to really monetize the digital aspect of it. So there's still all this speculation. Um, and when there's speculation, especially in a time now that everybody gets um, a voice because there's so many platforms, um, there'll always be people that'll pontificate about it. Um, and you know we're not gonna change that. If I was rubbing the crystal ball, um, I think things will be just fine in 2026 and life will go on just like it did in 2008 and 1998 and 1984, you name it. I'll let you go here in just a minute because I know you got to get back to work, but... Um, this is work. <laughs> yeah, that's, tr that's true, yeah. Um, I guess as a, a athletics director that's been here for 14 years and been involved in, I guess, college athletics longer, is there a biggest question facing college athletics moving forward? Is that too hard of a question to answer? It's not just one thing, or is there something that's like you think is going to be the next big question that has to be answered? Um, I don't. I don't think there's any. I mean, there's several questions that are out there, but you know, pick your day, and somebody could make the argument that that's the most important question. You know, should athletes be paid? Well, we've been talking about that for five or six years, and there's been multiple court cases, and now the NBA is finally, you know, thinking about changing the one and done rule in 2022, and you know, so. Um, that will ultimately find where it's supposed to be. And the G League is trying to become more uh, of a feeder system for the NBA, which will give a platform for those that want to go make money on, you know, on themselves. Um, TV, you know, is a big burning question. Um, you know, so there, there always seems to be something um, that makes us wonder about what's, what's next in college sports. What I know is this, that there's a huge appetite from constituents of higher education institutions to support their teams. And Iowa State will have athletic teams regardless of who's wearing our jerseys, who's coaching our teams, and who's being AD. Because there was an Iowa State athletics program long before any of us that are here today. And 100 years from now, you know, Jamie Pollard, Steve Prohm, Matt Campbell will just be names that are on a wall that says they worked here, just like people that did it 100 years ago at Iowa State. So um, it's a great industry. I'm glad I get to be part of it, but I'm just a small, small little piece of it. And then uh, that leads me to this last question, and that's um, um, there's so many different things that we didn't get to your selection committee and what that will entail. I couldn't, you, you touched on that, you know, that played into the contracts and stuff, or I was going to ask you about, you know, your involvement in recruiting and stuff. I know you're involved with, you know, you meet with guys like Tyrese Halliburton or I think maybe Brock Purdy, but um, I'll end with this instead, and that's, uh, you know, you were named um, Athletics Director of the Year, and I know, um, I'm sure you'll probably, it's, it's a credit to everything, but finishing the top half of the Big 12, I think, you know, obviously plays a big part in that, just the fact that that means the success of, of many different sports. What is what does that award, I guess, mean for you or mean for Iowa State in addition to, you know, you earning it? Well, um, I would say two things. Number one, it's obviously very flattering because it's an award that's chosen by your peers. And so um, that means a lot to me because, you know, my peers have decided that, you know, it's my time, I guess. Um, but more importantly, more importantly than that is we have a great story to tell in Ames. It's been fascinating. Um, and what this award really does is it shines a light on what all of us know here locally, but that story is starting to get told more nationally. 
Um, and, and credit Matt Campbell because football has probably been the piece that's maybe pushed us over the top or pushed us to the other side where people start to go, what are they doing there? They have all these, they have these crazy fans that want to support them. And, and wow, they're a lot better than what people think. You know? And so I love that part of it because the award really is a reflection of the collective work of a whole bunch of people and all our fans. And I just get to be the person that gets to be on the poster, right? Um, but it's less about me and more about what we've accomplished as a fan base, what we've accomplished as a department, what our student athletes accomplished. And for that, I'm really excited because um, we do have a great story to tell here and it needs to be told greater than just locally. Well, thanks for taking so much time. I ran well over my, my I think, scheduled meeting with you. Thanks for taking some time. and uh, Thanks, Alex. And I'll catch up with you. And I'll probably see you on the tailgate tour. All right. Thank you.